The series is entitled A Divine Invitation. A Divine Invitation. And so over these next several weeks, that is what we are going to be thinking about. And that's what we're going to be working on. A divine invitation, but God is not inviting me. I'm inviting him. So what's happening over this next month, every week we're going to take a different aspect of some verses in Psalm 139. But what I want us to know all the time is that it's not God inviting me. This is specifically an instance in the scripture where I am inviting him. In Psalm 139, verse 23, familiar for many of us, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, test me, know my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. When you look at literally the Hebrew words of verse 23, it's just simply four things, that first section. Search me, God, and know my heart. The prayer of David to search me and know my heart. When we think about searching, searching me, This is the last, next to the last, verse 23, 24. This is the the end of the chapter. The very first verse of the chapter says, You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You know my coming in and my going out, and you're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it fully. You put your hand on me. You hem me in behind and before you search me, Lord, it says, and you know me. That's verse 1. Hang in here with me on this, right? You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, etc., etc. You've searched. That's past tense. And then the last wrap-up closing thought of the chapter is David's prayer and invitation to search me, O God. That caught me as curious. We're opening up with saying, hey, we've talked. And now I'm saying, hey, talk to me. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. And then now I'm asking you to search me and know me. The searching is that I'm asking the Lord to do something. I'm asking the Lord to, some of the words mean investigate. I'm asking the Lord to investigate me. How many of us are excited when we hear that we're being investigated? No. Investigate me, Lord. I'm asking God to ponder me. I'm asking God to, 
One, one phrase is, I want you to see through me. I want you to see right through whatever the facade is, whatever the, whatever the coat is, whatever I'm covering up with the jacket of religion or Christianity or coping or protection or whatever, whatever that is, I'm asking you to see right through me. It's not a passive invitation. We go through the entire Psalm 139, one of the most quoted psalms of all 150. Psalm 139 is easily one of the most quoted. And it wraps up with, search me, O God, and know me. I think of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking. If you weren't aware of that, let me inform you. He's knocking. He's there. That used to be a thing in our culture. People would come to your house and knock. And then your mom had a Sarah Lee frozen something in the fridge that was all ready, and she'd pull it out, and coffee would come on, and everyone was excited and gathered in to see who just knocked and is coming over. Today when people knock, we shut the curtains quickly, hit the floor, and wonder what's going on. Why is someone knocking on our door? Who is that knocking on our door? Does anyone see who that is? Do you see a car? What is going on? I'm going to go around back, look over the fence to see who that is. It's not our culture quite so much anymore. But he stands at the door and knocks. He knocks. But there's an if. And he presents the if. He says, if anyone open anyone, isn't that great? Isn't that great if anyone? You know who that means? Let me tell you what anyone means in the, in the Greek. Anyone. That's what it means. Anyone opens up to me. Anyone. What's he say? I'll come in, and I'll sit with you, and I'll drink with you, and I'll eat with you. If anyone opens. This is our invitation for the divine to say, Lord, please come in and see me. Please come in and search me. Please come in and know me. As I was thinking of this message this morning, this obscure Old Testament story came to my mind, and it's about Rachel. Rachel and her father Laban. Now, Rachel, her husband was Jacob, and Jacob married Rachel and Leah. They were sisters. And Jacob's father-in-law Laban, there was always this tension between them because he would switch his pay and he would change things and he, Laban always tried to cheat Jacob and Ch Jacob was a decent cheat himself and so they kind of went back and forth and all these tensions and over 20 years, Jacob says, you changed my pay 10 different times and finally he recognizes that his father-in-law is not speaking so kindly to him and as many of us did when our father-in-law wasn't kind to us, we moved our family, right? So we're, that's what he does. He gets his family and they start, they start taking off. And they take off several days' journey, and Laban finds out, and he goes and chases him down. Now, when they found out they were leaving, Rachel goes into her father Laban's house and steals his idols, which were valuable. I don't believe the scripture says what they were made of, but they were valuable, and he wanted them, and he was coming after them. 
Not only just to come after them to figure out what was going on, but when he got there, he's got his finger in Jacob's face. He's like, hey, man, you stole my idols. Jacob's like, nobody stole your idols. I don't know what you're talking about. Man, you stole my idols. It's like the bump chest thing out in front of the tent. And he says, well, if you find the idols, whoever you find them with, you can kill that person because we don't have them. And he didn't know that Rachel stole them. So Laban goes in to Jacob's tent and looks. Everybody had their own tent. He goes into Jacob's tent. He goes into Leah's tent. It even says he goes into the tents of the concubines and the servants. And then he gets to Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel hid them in her camel saddle. They were hidden under her camel saddle, and she was sitting on them. And Laban comes in to search, and he's looking through, and he... Flipping things over and all over the tent. I mean, how, could, how big could it be, right? But he's looking around and can't find it. And she's sitting on the saddle with the idols underneath. And she actually says, the scripture says, she's like, pardon me, I'm sorry. It's my monthly moment and I can't get up right now. He's like, no problem. Searches everywhere else in the room and leaves. As I was thinking about the Lord investigating us, as I was thinking about our invitation to please come in and search me, I wondered about this story. I wondered if we have places that we hold off limits. Like you get to see this part, but not this part. And I'm projecting as if I'm showing you the whole thing when in fact I'm sitting over here on this thing and I'm not letting you see that. They're searching we're hiding. Does anybody make this play, this kind of play when company comes over? Does anyone have that special room where you put everything when company comes over? Right? And God help anybody that opens that door. That's like the cartoon. Your bowling balls fall out. Like every, all kinds of things fall out, right? You've got, man, the house looks fantastic. Fine. Just don't go through that door. It's like our inside garage, right? And we can do that. Everything looks presentable. Everything looks good. Everything looks just right. But don't go in that door. And just as Rachel sat on that saddle, did you take those? Not me. I don't know. Can you see anything? I don't see anything. Do you see them? I don't see them. Right. Kids and I were watching this police show. And the rising conflict in the story was that the police officer's wife, young wife, was expecting, and they were very, very excited about having a child, and, and then she was in a car accident, lost her life. Of course, the child dies as well, and he's got all this shame, and it's kind of the driving motif in the story. And so because he's a little unhinged here and there over that level of trauma and loss, he's seeing the police psychologist. And in this particular scene, he's sitting across from the police psychologist and she's talking with him and he's like, Doc, I'm an open book. Open book, ask whatever you want. Gave her a big smile. Camera pans over to her and she says, let's talk about your wife. Camera shoots back to him, no affect. He's like, next question. 
I'm an open book. Anything you want to see, any part of me that you want, I am open to it. And then the Lord says, let's talk about that. And you're like, next question. That's not what this is. What's happening in Psalm 139 with the psalmist David is completely different. He's saying, I am intentionally laying myself out there before you every single part intentionally. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm being so upfront with this. I'm being so surrendered. I'm being so open. Sometimes I ask groups to do a surrender exercise, and I'd ask you to do it. You could, you could draw it on the back of your hand. If you have your phone, you could kind of flip over your phone or on your, your Bible or some kind of thing, just in your mind, sketch something. What's the picture of surrender? look like for you? I want you to think about surrender. What does surrender look like for you? And if you were to sketch it out, what would it be? And a lot of times, it's not a dramatic drawing. I mean, some people are gifted at drawing, and you might draw something beautiful. But most of us draw stick figures or representations of something. But what, is, what does surrender look like? In step three, which is also basically our last step of salvation, we make a decision to surrender our will and our life over to the care of God. We, we make a decision to surrender to the care of God. So what does that picture of surrender look like? I mean, possibly if you've ever been on the wrong side of the law, somebody told you to hands up and surrender. In the military, we're trained around all that stuff. Hands up, surrender, you know. Those aren't cool moments. <laughs> but what about in here? What if we talk about surrender in here? And then I was reading, do you have your picture? Do you have the picture of what surrender looks like? Picture in your mind, jot it down in your palm. Some pictures of people are a little stick figure just looking up. And there's a cloud. Sometimes I've seen people draw pictures where they take one knee. They just simply draw themselves like this. Stick figure. Surrender. Sometimes it's open arms or arms uplifted. Surrender. And then I was reading from Richard Rohr one time, and, and he, asked, he asked this. He said, so what if it's sweet Surrender. What's the difference between surrender? What if I ask you now to draw a picture of sweet surrender? How's that different? Because it seems that for every single person that does this exercise, whenever I get to look at their paper, the picture is different. The person that's kneeling, they still have a kneeling picture, but underneath their knee is a hand holding them. Sweet surrender. They're looking up, but what they've drawn now in the cloud is God's face with a smile. Surrender. Or their hands are open like this, and right in the middle of their uplifted hands is a heart. Sweet surrender. God, search me. Search me, oh God. And when we're inviting him to do that, it is an act of surrender. 
It is an act of full openness. And so many times we know that when shame is a part of our life, failure is what we do, but shame is who we think we are, and failure becomes identity, and we just don't want you to see that part of the house. We just close that space. We just sit on those things. I can easily tell you, unequivocally tell you, that that's not healthy. That's not the way we want to live this. That's not the way Jesus wants you to be. He wants to be able to walk into every space, every room, question is, do you believe he can be trusted? Do you believe he can be trusted to walk into every spot when others weren't trustworthy, when others have let you down, when others have fallen short? Can we bridge that and open the door and say, all yours? Search me, O God, and know me. Know me. Know my heart. It speaks of a certainty. It speaks of a, of a choosing. In fact, the word know in, this, in Psalm 139 where it says, search me, O God, and know my heart, know, is the same word as Genesis 4. Genesis 4 is where Adam knew his wife. It's that level of intimacy. It's that level of asking God to, to have an into me see moment. And into me see relationship where nothing's off the table. Emotionally, I invite you in. Socially, I invite you in. Spiritually, I invite you in. Mentally and intellectually, I invite you in. I invite you in financially. I invite you in every part of my life. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart question would be, how do you feel about God seeing your feelings? How do you feel about that? How do we feel about God seeing our feelings? Not just what you feel, but how you feel, even about yourself. A lot of us are pretty good at lying to other people, and then some of us are even really good at lying to ourselves. Some of us might be better at lying to ourselves even, than other people. And although it seems to be a futile exercise to lie to God, which is what makes him God, still and yet, the idea, there's something powerful in this. I could say, I could read verse 1, Psalm 139, verse 1, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Okay, you already searched me, you already know me, we're good. But then there's something that transacts where it is different when I say, I ask, I present a divine invitation, not him inviting me, but me inviting him. My counselor asked me that a few weeks ago. He said, uh, how, how do you feel about you? I was like, huh. And I was talking to a friend, and they're like, well, you know all about feelings. I said, that wasn't the question. It wasn't the question of, of what I feel. It was the question of how do I feel about me? And that was a completely different room of how I feel about me. Emotions are one thing. In fact, emotions are actually six things. 
Really, there's just six or seven, eight, depending on who you're reading or listening to. But emotions, it's anger, disgust, fear, joy, sadness, and surprise. That's it. Those are your emotions. Anger, disgust, fear, joy, sadness, and surprise. And those are emotions. They just, I like to think they just emote from you. They just come out. You know, you know what you can do to stop emotions? Uh, nothing. Nothing. You can't do anything to stop them. Right? You're walking along the path, you're holding hands with the love of your life, and all of a sudden there's something oblong, black across the thing. You don't go, shall I be surprised? How shall I, how shall I act in front of my girlfriend here because I need to be very machismo, but I'm scared of snakes. And I see that, and I jump, and then it's just a branch. You don't walk in the room and everybody's ready on your birthday and they go, surprise, and you, 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 you restrain yourself. You're surprised. You're surprised. Fear is that way. You open a drawer and there's something disgusting in there. You don't go, ah, I don't think I'll retch this time. You see it and you're just like, whoa. You can't help it. Those six, seven, eight things, depending on who you're reading, just come from us. That's the emotion. But feelings are our interpretations of those things. Search me, Lord, and know my heart, how I'm feeling, what I'm feeling. Many of us know that anger is simply a mask. Anger is a legitimate emotion. That's the first one I said. You can be angry. It's a legitimate emotion. It's also a legitimate feeling. The Bible says be angry and don't sin. You're allowed to be angry. It's not like I'm getting rid of all anger in my life. You're allowed to be angry. But anger is often a mask. The joke is that men have five, five feelings. Glad, sad, mad, happy, and angry. Glad, sad, mad, happy, angry, and angry covers everything else. Years ago, I was in a high school setting, and I was talking to these guys that happened to be a high school basketball team, and I was running them through some drills, not basketball drills. I was running through some personal growth drills, and I said, all right, guys, there are like seven or eight guys. I said, okay, we're going to list uh, uh, our feelings, all the feelings we can. And so we, we went like through seven, you know, and, and I listed them up on the board. And they all sat down. They were like, all right, we ready for practice? I said, uh, we're gonna do, there's more than seven. Let's do it again. Let's go through again. We did it a second time. The guys started sweating like I was working them out, man. And then the third time, they were like, come on, man. What is going on here? What? I'm like, 21 emotions, fellas? We can't come up with 21 feelings? We can't come up with 21 feelings? Because I know some folks that could come up with 256 feelings. The guy, the guy feeling crayon box is those eight big fat ones. That's the joke. And the woman feeling box is the 256 with the sharpener. That's the joke. I'm glad you laughed. We often just take anger and it covers everything else. I'm confused and how does it express? Anger. I'm disappointed and I'm angry. I'm frustrated and I'm angry. It just comes out. Anger is the mask. So we know. We know that we can present one way and there's something else behind it. So search me, God, and know my heart. See through me. See my feeling. Know my heart. Our text 
is the last two verses. Can I do this prayer? Can I pray this prayer, search me, O God, and know know my heart? I think I can do it if I read the rest of the psalm. Listen to the rest of the psalm. Just listen. It's not on the screen. Just listen. You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me. Even darkness is not dark to you. The darkness is as light to you. You created, can we trust? Can we trust it? You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, however it happened, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass. Listen to this. When you're thinking about if you can invite him in or not, listen to this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Wow. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they'd outnumber the grains of sand. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's our prayer for this week. Search me, God. Know, perceive, discern, see through me, my heart. Proverbs 4.23, they can throw that up here, speaks of our heart. Above all else, When the scripture says above all else, guess what we should do? We should really pay attention to that. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it spring the issues of life. That's the heart that we're inviting him to. We're inviting him into that space. All the issues of life flow from this. The heart can mean our inclinations. It can mean our conscience or even our appetites, our passions. Our, our determination, our grid, our resolution around things. The heart is the psyche. The heart is the soul. Feelings. Did you ever have that friend that dated Mr. Disaster? Your friend dated Mr. Disaster. And you're over there like going... No, what are you doing? Stop. And they're like, but I love him. But I, but I love, I feel love, love. And you're like, no, oh, no. You have a friend like that? Were, were, you, were you that friend? <laughs> it's like, we've been in that space, right? Somebody's telling us, they're like, stop. And you're like, but I feel so. 
Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man. But the end ends in death. There's a way that seems right for us. But the end is death. Scripture tells us that our heart is deceitful. Who can know it? When we're working off of our feelings, or I just, oh, I feel like I, or I feel that. We go off feelings and it seems right to us. But the wise man warns us. I get that it seems right. But in the end, it doesn't work out for you. So what do we do with that? Fine, my heart is deceitful. Okay, great, thanks. Thanks for giving me a defective heart. I have all these feelings, but I can't sort through them. Well, we go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.12, which many of you could quote, the word of God is quick and living and powerful. The word of God. And not just this word of God, the manifest word of God. Quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit. Soul is that heart, those feelings, those decisions. Soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And what's it say? It's a discerner of what? The heart, the thought and intent of the heart. It is a beautiful thing that the word of God can discern our motive. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one in here that wants to do good and doesn't do it. There's another old boy I hear wrote a book about that. He wanted to do good and couldn't do it. He didn't want to do bad and seemed to do that. And when I know that the Lord knows my motive, it gives me great comfort. It helps me realize that I can open my heart and invite him in. And his word can direct me so I'm not following feelings anymore. I'm following a direction, a guidance, a presence of the Lord, the spirit of the almighty that looks and works and moves through my heart. He knows my motive. You see, many of us in here are going to mess up this week. That's not your intention. Your motive is to do well, and you won't. Good thing he knows your heart. A lot of times we look at that in some hypocritical way. Like I'm going to front like I'm doing great, but really my heart is dark. That's not the folks that sit in here. That's not the folks that sit in this room. Our heart is to do well. That's why we're here. Art is to surrender ourselves to the Lord. But this is the next step in that prayer. And we're not going to always do well. And we're not going to always do right. And we're not going to ring the bell. But he knows my heart is to do that. And I thank God that his word discerns and knows our hearts. And that we can come before the throne boldly because we know there is mercy. And we can do that and we can pray this prayer without inhibition. I guess the question is, are we willing to let the word of God know us? Are we willing to let the manifest word made flesh know us? Are we willing to hang around him and let him change us? A lot of times when people are struggling and they want to do better, I ask them, I'm like, would you be stupid if I was with you this weekend? And they're like, no. I said, well, 
79.95, I'll hang out with you all day. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we don't need rehab. Maybe we just need me to hang out with you. I actually mean that. Because when there's an awareness of what's going on and the person that's with you, and how many times have each one of us absolutely forgotten that it is the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us? And I'll lead that, I'll lead that parade. Like we've, we have moments where we forget about his indwelling presence. He is with us. Emmanuel, God with us, like he is with us. Whatever the physiology is on that, and rather than like shirk away or hide stuff or even act like I can hide stuff, I want to just be with him. And as we all, all of us, and we need community, none of us would do that well if it was just us and Jesus somewhere. We weren't built for that. We're built for community. We're we're built for church. We're built for groups. We're built for connection. And so when we gather here together and we encourage each other and recognize that, That's the spiritual order. Arnett, come on up, buddy. The spiritual order of spirit, soul, and body. Paul said, I wish you to be holy, holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy. Spirit, soul, and body. I want you to be that whole thing. Question today is, will we let the spirit lead? Not advise, (laughs) Not suggest, not offer a couple things to consider, but will we let the Spirit lead our soul, lead our heart, lead our feelings? Because when the Spirit controls your soul, then it's manifest into your body. Let me give you the punchline for the next few weeks. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Feelings. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. Actions. In these prayers, the Lord, from this prayer of the psalmist, will take us through a surrendering of our feelings, a surrendering of our thoughts, and a surrendering of our actions. And then the fourth week on Baptism Sunday, lead me in the way everlasting. Some may say, I don't know if I can pray this prayer, because this is a different kind of prayer. This is a different prayer. This is not maybe the kind of prayer we typically pray. When we think we're just trying to measure up what he's calling us into, we're actually opening up the home of our heart to say, Lord, search me. It is a divine invitation But really what it is, it's an invitation to the divine to come into me, search me. Not a cursory search, but a top to bottom. I've always prayed, Lord, humble me. Now, I've actually had ministers turn to me and say, oh, no, Smitty, you, that's not the prayer you want to pray. You don't pray that. You want to ask the Lord to help you humble yourself. And I turn to them and say, uh, I do not. I know exactly what I'm praying. 
Because that Lord help me humble myself bit could take 40 years. I'm not interested in taking 40 years. And you don't have to be me by any means. But there is a desire in me to have God in such a pure way, making me pure and a part of his work in such a clean way that I'm like, put your boot in my neck and snap it. That's a prayer I pray. Don't take it easy on me. Do whatever you need to do. I would like you to be gracious to my family. I've suffered quite a bit with family loss, and I'm not super interested in doing that again. However, I surrender. I surrender. So do whatever you need to do. As soon as you're ready to do it, so we can get rolling. And so that I am not in the way because I don't have any interest in you taking it easy on me and it taking four years. I don't have any interest in that. You have a work to do and I want to be a part of it. So search me, oh God. Know my heart. It is a prayer of surrender. It is a prayer literally to make room. Would you be willing to stand with me and sing this song?